Welcome to the DeFi Mafia podcast. Today we are here with Mr. Theta Tendies, which many of you might know from crypto Twitter or uh, from his YouTube channel. Uh, he's a trader slash investor, probably more investor, right? Than yeah, than I would say that's trader. Right. Yeah, yeah, and. We're just going to talk general markets, trading. Uh, I mean, honestly, things are kind of crazy right now, so it's probably good timing. And uh, yeah, just probably shoot the shit a little bit. I'm also here with uh, Mike as well. Yo, what's going on, guys? Um, yeah, uh, real quick, like, could you give just like a brief like background just like on how you got into everything? Um, yeah, just like kind of general context for like new people listening who might not be familiar with who you are. Yeah, of course. So, um, so I first started trading back in like very early 2019. So I had graduated high school um, about six months before. Uh, I started working, um, uh, you know, just a regular like fast food job while I was going to school and stuff like that. And uh, so I had remembered in high school, you know, a lot of people were talking about cryptocurrency my senior year. And it seemed like it was the best place to go in order to like make money in a decent time frame. So I didn't really know what I was doing. And I figured, okay, I think I should just buy some like Bitcoin and see what happens and see if it goes back to 20K. So I started buying some Bitcoin, went well. Uh, then I found out what leverage was. Uh, like anybody that got started in crypto, um, pretty much put money on BitMEX. It was gone by the next month, hmm. um, you know, after running it up 10X or something like that. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, I just could, you know, I can make money, but I can never find a way to keep it. So I, uh, eventually, uh, after I think I, I and I, I grew up, uh, pretty poor. Um, my family was, uh, um, during like, uh, when I was finishing up high school, my family was basically on welfare and there was like eight of us living in like an 800 foot, 200, you know, two bedroom house. And, uh, you know, I just really saw a lot of like struggle when it came um, to money. So I really tried to make an effort as I got out of high school and started working to really try to find a way to not have to endure that. So that's when I got into trading. And then uh, basically uh, after, I think it was October 2019, I'd basically taken a thousand dollars and I ran it up to about 10 or 15 K and I was like, wow, okay, this is a reasonable sum that I can work with now that I've never really had to deal with before and you know i was getting aspirations of hitting 100k and then maybe i wouldn't have to work while i was in school and stuff like that and uh ended up getting liquidated on the she pump uh, which i don't know if you remember but it was like this god candle that was 40 percent up in october mm -hmm. and i thought i had had these stop losses set whereas a stop loss would trigger on the short position i was in and then it would trigger into a market buy and i went to the gym and i found out when i got back to the gym that I did those uh, I did not have those stop losses set, so I ended up getting liquidated literally at like the pico top of that move, um, and I uh, fortunately it wasn't all of my money. I still had like 10k, so I continued. I started taking extra shifts. I saved up 25k, and I was going to go the you know old boring route, just invest in the S and P 500 and whatnot. Um, but come my sophomore year of uh, of uh, junior college. I was taking this international relations course and this professor, this was like January of 2020, was talking about 
uh, coronavirus. And he was saying that it's likely that in March we were all going to go inside for a couple weeks, but it wouldn't last a couple weeks because it was too severe and it was spreading too fast and killing too many people. And he said that, in his opinion, it was very likely that the economy was going to get shut down for a year. Now, mind you, at this time, it had just leaked out of China and gotten to Italy. And, uh, you know, people were getting concerned about it, but nobody was like necessarily paying attention to the severity. And uh, afterwards, he said, I want you to read this article about oil purchasing. And in that article, um, it basically said that the U.S. and China were responsible for 60 percent of all the oil purchasing in the world. And so I'm thinking, well, if the U.S. is going to get shut down, uh, China's already shut down. That should mean that just naturally that oil prices and oil demand uh, oil purchasing should drop 30%. So I don't understand why oil prices wouldn't drop 30%. So not knowing what I was doing and still having that sort of level of degeneracy that allowed me to run up a little bit of money in crypto for blowing up, uh, I threw my entire 25K into ExxonMobil puts uh, expiring in April of that year. And, uh, you know, long story short, it essentially... Uh, ended up making about 25x. I made about 500k on that trade, shitting myself the entire time. By the way, um, and I'm in that. This is this is March. The market ends up crashing, and I'm in that very same class. Uh, you know, later about midway through the semester, and um, so we're sitting in class. It's a normal. It was like an evening class, and some girl stands up in in the back of the class in the middle of the lecture. And she goes, oh, my God, Bitcoin dropped from 8000 to 5000 I'm ruined. And she runs out of the room crying. And I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, like I've been trying to figure out when I'm supposed to close these Exxon puts, if I should keep holding them, if I should take my money and run. And uh, when she did that, I realized that, you know, Bitcoin was going risk off. And, you know, it hadn't been $5,000 in at least a year. So I, uh, the, the next day when the market opened, I closed those puts. Uh, and then I wired the money out of my brokerage account into Coinbase, ended up buying a bunch of Bitcoin. And uh, I think I bought, at the time, I bought over 100 of them, literally, like, again, my entire net worth. Uh, but like an idiot, I uh, ended up selling them at, uh, I think I ended up buying at like 4.6K, sold at like 9.2K. But uh, it, was, it was crazy because uh, I had essentially went from about 25K to a million uh it's crazy in about five months from these really really like bang bang black swan events that i got caught on the right side of uh and then at that point you know i obviously coming from um you know a decent amount of poverty i realized that this was going to be a life-changing money uh, amount of money especially for my age and uh so that's when i started taking things really seriously because i knew that it would uh suck a lot more if i lost a million dollars trying to run it up to 10 than if I were to take a million dollars or two or three or five or whatever pretty slowly. Uh, so that's why I, I would probably say that I got a little bit more competent with trading. And that's basically, uh, you know, when I started interacting a little bit more on Twitter. Yeah, that's, that's wild, man. Did you tell your professor? Fuck no. Oh my God. <laughs> no, nah, he, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to like be like, Hey, Hey dude, I, uh, I dropped 25,000, you know, my entire net worth on, uh, on what you were saying. So thanks. Like, um, no, I think I, I think I thanked him or something, uh, not, not in a trade related way, but I think I sent him an email after the semester was over and say, Hey, I really enjoyed your class. I thought it was really insightful. How you taught me how to pick apart information, uh, ahead of time before a lot of people noticed it or something like that. Um, but I just sent him an email 
Dude, that's that is so crazy. I have to tell you honestly, I have a very similar story that did not end up as good as yours because um, I, I before uh, crypto, I was working like uh, e-commerce and Amazon, and so okay. in like January, February, twenty twenty, uh, you know, everybody makes their shit in China. So uh, I knew in like January and February that COVID was very serious before anybody was taking it seriously. And I remember the Italy thing too. Like I was like, why is like, I mean, you remember like in February, it was like, you were getting these videos out of Italy of people dying and the markets were up. I mean, it, it didn't make any sense. I, I didn't understand it. And I was, I was a very rookie trader, so I didn't know how to trade it. But like, I, I knew that the whole market was going to crash. I was emailing my clients being like, Hey, uh, China's probably going to shut down. So you need to figure out like alternative manufacturing options because you're going to be screwed here. And I was like, should I like buy S and P puts or like, like, I didn't know what to do. I, I literally had no idea what to do and everything kept going up. And unfortunately I just didn't buy it and I didn't short anything and I should have. And I was so mad at myself, but I did buy Bitcoin pretty similar levels to you. So that I made up on that side, but you know, I, yeah. I could have made money on the way down and I'm very, it's, it's my biggest regret. And it taught me on like, okay, next time you have major conviction like that, you gotta, you, you gotta take it. Uh, truthfully, truthfully, looking back on it now, I should have never taken that trade. And I was just on the winning end of a, of a very um, tail, uh, tail event, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, like, uh, you know, as, as I got more experience with like trading and invest, like I was, I was a pretty active trader during like 2020. And I was like, kind of active in 2021. But I'm, I hardly take any trades anymore. But, uh, you know, I kind of realized through like, you know, having to grow a much larger sum than I was accustomed to that, like the idea of going, cause I'm somebody that's not like a day trader. Like a lot of people on Twitter, um, you know, they're always trading like perp contracts and shit like that. And they're always, you know, changing their positioning and stuff like that. And I find that that doesn't necessarily do well for my financial circumstance, but it also doesn't do well for like my mental health. So I, uh, I don't I've think it does like, well for theirs either. Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> but uh, I always have the approach that like it's important to like build more of a portfolio and focus on where you're allocating the percentage of your portfolio to various different, you know, say it's coins or stocks or whatever. Um, I would never go net short like ever again in my life. And the idea that I went net short my entire net worth on a leveraged option contract expiring in three months, that's pretty, that's pretty balls to the wall. Uh, I would never take that trade again, but you know, it worked out well, I guess. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, I, it, you're right. Because in hindsight, when the market was down, like whatever, 25, 30%, I thought we were just going to keep going down, down, down. So I probably wouldn't even have closed the position. So I probably wouldn't have made money anyways, if, if I'm being honest, because the way it recovered, I did not expect it at all. So, you know, hindsight's always 2020. 20. Um, right. With, with your like trading and investing style, because I know you're very much more like the, uh, you, you know, you're early twenties, but you're almost a boomer in the way you, you invest, which I admire because like, <laughs> like a lot of people, it's very easy on CT to like, get like, I don't know, like, 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 like lulled into taking all these degen trades and I'm hundred yeah. percent guilty, but like, like what is your primary investing style right now? Okay. So, um, my name is state attendees because, uh, I primarily sell options contracts, mm -hmm. uh, on, um, you know, equities like stock market and stuff like that. Um, so as of this moment, uh, I basically, and, and probably for the foreseeable future, 
I only intend on on basically selling options contracts in the stock market, and then I hold a portfolio of like uh, income producing stocks, so ones that pay a dividend. Um, you know, things like uh, Pepsi and Procter and Gamble and uh, McDonald's and like a lot of those big name companies that are essentially monopolies. Um, and so I hold those um, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I want a very defensive portfolio for the next couple of years. I think there's a lot of uncertainty in the market and I don't want to necessarily have to be reliant on taking directional bets on the market. So, you know, I have amassed enough capital and I, I live a pretty frugal lifestyle, to be honest with you, um, to the point where uh, it just makes sense for me to put my money in these really boomer, you know, fucking boring uh, dividend paying stocks that will essentially provide me an income. And then also the same thing goes for option selling. So um, the, the big thing with option selling for me is that you, you kind of treat it like being the house of a casino. Like the, I don't know if you've ever traded stock options, but that is an infinitely better casino than, uh, you know, trading shit coins, in my opinion. Uh, you just get, if depending on how close to expiration you are, you can get, you know, 25, 50 times leverage and, you know, never be necessarily liquidated because of the volatility. But um, uh, you can uh, obviously lose the entire amount you put on, you put into it uh, if it expires by a certain date. But I essentially sell options contracts for a couple of reasons. Um, the thing about options contracts is that when you buy options, not only do you have to be right directionally, you have to be right um, as far as the uh, volatility of the move, uh, basically how far you think it's going to go up, how far you think it's going to go down, and you have to be right about the timing. So it's basically uh, the best way that I try to explain it to people is it's basically trying to play a game of blackjack, but having to beat the dealer by three. And if you don't beat the dealer by three, then you lose. So it's a very, um, it's really one of the only tools uh, that I've found in any form of finance um, that essentially allows you to skew the probability of your trade being successful to 80, 90, 95% of the time. So just that idea that you can produce income off of, a very high probability like that and skew the edge to your favor um, is something that I've found to be unmatched as far as, um, you know, the financial goals that I'm looking for in my life, which, um, you know, are basically to maintain growth at a steady pace and not go entirely degenerate like I used to. Um, and, and also the ability to produce income because uh, you don't, you don't want to have to be reliant on uh, the volatility of the market whether it's in your favor or not uh, for income, especially in times like now. Like, okay. So for example, and correct me if I'm wrong, when I say this just for people listening, like when Tesla is really hot or something, you'll, what you'll do instead of doing what a lot of DGENs will do of buying like call options on, on Tesla and hoping to make a bunch of money, you're writing the call options and you're selling it to those people for a premium. And that premium is the income that you're talking about, right? Correct. So basically, um, so when you're selling options contracts, um, a, what a lot of people don't understand are the Greeks. Um, and you, you don't really need to know. A lot of the times people overcomplicate the Greeks. Um, but there is this one Greek that's really important, um, which is Delta. So for when you're an options buyer, what Delta tells you is the amount of money you're going to make per dollar move in the stock. So if, let's say you bought a one Tesla call and the Delta was 50 
and Tesla goes from $900 to $901. What that's telling you is that you're going to make $50 if Tesla goes from 900 to 901. However, when you're an option seller, um, Delta tells you the probability of something expiring in the money. And in the money means that uh, it would uh, expire above the strike price. So for example, let's say, you know, Tesla is a very volatile stock. Let's say Tesla was trading at 880 yesterday and today is trading at 950. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to search options contracts that are below uh, 16 Delta. And the reason that I choose 16 Delta is because I found a research paper that uh, basically examined uh, about 50 years, I think it was 50 or 60 years of market volatility metrics. And they found that 95% of the time, the market is fluctuating uh, at or above a 16 Delta, which basically means if you sell anything slightly less than a 16 Delta, technically that means that it has to be a two standard deviation uh, volatility event, which means that there's a 5% chance that it would expire at that level. So let's say the Tesla uh, $1,020 call uh, is at a 15 delta. I will sell that contract because I know that it would take a two standard deviation event of volatility to the upside in order for me to have to basically face any risk. And the other thing that's great about um, um, selling, selling options is that uh, the downside risks of selling options, depending on what you're doing, uh, are very, very minimal. Most of the time, uh, it just has a lot to do with uh, maybe being underwater for a certain period of time, but you're not actually being faced with having to realize any losses. Um, so it's just a great way to really skew probability uh, to your favor, you produce income, and you have it sitting, sitting in front of you at all times, the probability of you being wrong, which I don't think is very apparent when a lot of people are just trying to, you know, day trade, buy short, you know, long short, sorry. How did you uh, like find all of this? Did you just research on your own and just come across it? So um, what I was looking for um, once I had necessarily, like once I had breached, you know, like having a million dollars and stuff, uh, what I was looking for was uh, ways to, because I knew if I were to put my money in the S&P 500 with like a million dollars, on average, it should produce about 100K. And with dividends, it'd probably produce about, uh, you know, 10 to 15K. But that was nowhere near enough money for, uh, you know, somebody that, you know, wants to have a family one day and, you know, be financially independent and whatnot. So I started looking on YouTube about ways that I could utilize uh, options to produce income because I, you know, thought back to, all the times where I got liquidated trading crypto or I blew up, you know, $500 account on Robinhood here and there. And I kept thinking, you know, if I'm losing all this money, who's making all the money? And right. like, where is this options premium going to? Is this going to an investment bank? Is it, a, you know, is this the exchange that is just selling me uh, these options contracts and they're keeping all the money? So I, I dug, I dug down deeper and I basically found that uh, the two best ways to sell options were, cash secured puts and covered calls. And, uh, and then my concern was like, okay, well, how do I know how far to sell these options out of the money? Like, I don't want to sell them at the money because that seems like a very 50, 50 type of bet. So I started, you know, uh, looking and doing more research into um, how options volatility gets priced into the contracts, how implied volatility works 
how implied volatility affects options premium to make it go up or down. Um, and uh, from there, you know, it was basically trial and error. Uh, and I still fuck up sometimes. Um, recently, I uh, bought way too much Shopify. Uh, Shopify was like 30 or 40, 30, 35% off the high or something like that. I was like, oh, you know, this is fucking Shopify. This is going to be a beast of a company. Uh, it's trading at the lowest level in the year. I'm going to buy it. And then it fucking nuked, you know, and I was selling covered calls after I bought it. And then it fucking nuked 40%. And I'm down like $400,000 on the position right now. Like, yeah. And, uh, and I can't sell any options contracts on it because, um, you know, it's like below my cost basis. So, you know, there are times like, you know, this is a very interesting time in, uh, particularly when it comes to like tech stocks and whatnot. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of trial and error and shit. But the great thing is that like, I don't have to realize any of those losses. The only thing that I'm losing, um, you know, Shopify is a beast of a company. It's, it's going to go back up at some point, whether it be six months from now or a year. So to me, I view it as like, you know, I was producing income and decent income on it for a long time. Uh, now I can't generate income on it, but I will as soon as it, you know, starts moving up towards its break even. So the only thing that I'm losing hypothetically is the opportunity cost of income until it reaches back at that break even point. Do you think your strategy works better when people are more risk on, like looking to buy like really aggressive, uh, like, like if they're willing to pay like aggressive premiums on call options in a bull market, do you think your strategy works better there versus a time like now where people are very uncertain? Yeah, I, it definitely. Okay, so it depends what kind of approach you're trying to use. But I, basically, when you're selling options, what you're looking for is you're basically selling volatility. You're basically betting that volatility is going to drop from the time that you sell an options contract. So when things are hyper volatile, like they are right now, um, yes, it expands options premiums, uh, but it also expands your risk. So you need to adjust based on that like delta that I was talking about. So these, these delta figures will get pushed higher um, even though they might be further out of the money. Um, and, you know, options, you know, everybody like shits on like the efficient market theory, um, which for the most part is absolute bullshit. But um, when it comes to options, options are actually a very, very efficient market. Literally everything, any, almost everything gets priced into options like immediately. So it's a great way to, um, you know, if you're betting on volatility diminishing, um, then it's a great way to produce income. But, you know, as you mentioned right now, uh, when volatility is continuously expanding, it poses more risk for options sellers. Um, and hypothetically for options buyers too, because they're paying more money. But uh, most option buyers aren't holding their contracts to expiration anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's talk, we're, just so everybody knows, we're recording this on Friday, uh, the February 25th. So Ukraine or Russia just invaded Ukraine two days ago. And uh, markets are very up in the air right now. What's your like overall view on the market for, uh, I guess, like 2022? Do you mean uh, stocks, crypto, both? Um, probably. Let's go stocks and then crypto. Okay. Um, so for stocks, um, my thinking is, or I think I wrote a little bit of a thread on it in early in January, but my thinking for stocks was that the market was going to return uh, a much lower figure than people were accustomed to. Uh, you know, if you look at between 2019 and 2021, uh, you know, it's just insane returns. And, you know, people often forget that there was a fucking market crash in the middle of those returns. So it was just an absolutely insane bull market because of basically zero interest rates and quantitative easing. 
Now there are a lot of risks to the equity market. You have the end of tapering, uh, or you have, excuse me, tapering is basically when quantitative easing gets slowed down. And you're basically having the end of quantitative easing in March, which is what the end of the taper is. Um, you also have interest rates that are uh, going to go up. Uh, originally going into 2022, it was anticipated that there was three. Then there started to be talking. Then they started talking about possibly four. Then Jamie Dimon of J.B. Morgan steps in and says that there should be seven. And then the market starts pricing in five. And then Jamie Dimon comes back and says there's going to be nine consecutive interest rate hikes. So what a lot of people don't understand about the stock market and uh, differential to crypto is that the stock market is entirely reliant on information. And given the amount of algorithms that are in the stock market, the moment that somebody has the ability to click on a website and read a headline, an algorithm has already sold it and made a, a decision, sold or bought the asset that they're you know behind on reading a headline about. And you know, so I see all these people trying to do two, TA, trying to time like the market bottom. What people don't understand is that the market is entirely reactive to uncertainty and it functions on uncertainty. So when you have this slowing down of QE and the end of it, you have this potential interest rates going up, which should um, you know, affect the present value of stocks. And you have the greatest military uh, operation since World War II you know, and the total disruption of uh, sovereignty of a, of a, you know, democratic nation, um, there is going to be a lot of uncertainty in the market. And uncertainty is what drives volatility. And, uh, you know, with the end of this quantitative easing, it's also uh, really drying up liquidity. So uh, that's also going to affect volatility. And, uh, but my, my thought process hasn't changed on this. Um, a lot of people seem to think that quantitative tapering uh, or the end of QE um, is what creates market crashes. Um, it doesn't. I think that uh, the S&P is going to close a little above 5,000 this year. Um, I think that it's going to return about 5% this year. And I think we're going to see inflation drop from 7 to 4% um, as supply chain issues get fixed. Um, however, at the same time, uh, you know, before I sort of created that 2022 market outlook, uh, two-year bond yields were much lower. And uh, I'm sure most people that have been invested in traditional finance have heard of this yield curve inversion. And so what the yield curve inversion means is that the two-year yield pays a higher yield than the 10-year yield. Um, so to start 2021, the two-year, or yeah, I think 2021, it might've been 2022, uh, the two-year yield was at like 0.1% and the 10-year uh, yield was at 1.1%. Mm -hmm. As of like today, I think that the two-year yield is about um, 1.5% and the 10 years at like 2%. No, it might be 1.6% and 2%. Anyways, basically when, if the two-year yield ever surpasses the 10-year yield, when short rates, short interest rates become more valuable than long-term interest rates, that's usually an indication that there's going to be some sort of recession. And when you have that along with, uh, the Fed not having any room to lower interest rates in the case of recession, there is a big risk of that because you know what it, and and if there if inflation was two percent, you could say that they continue printing money, but inflation's at you know seven and a half, and they're faking seven and a half too. It's probably really like ten percent mm -hmm. um, because they're changing the basket of goods that actually make up CPI. 
So when you look at the equity markets, I think that we're seeing a, a slowdown in growth. And I think that's what we're going to see over the past, the next couple of years. And I think the yield curve will probably invert by next year. And maybe there would be a recession in 2024 or 2025, which is the reason why I built up a very defensive portfolio filled with companies that no matter what happens in a recession, people are going to have to buy a Tide laundry detergent or, you know, Pepsi or, uh, you know, something like that. Um, so I think there are a lot of risks to the market now. But what I think a lot of people are getting caught, caught off guard about is that, um, you know, the equity markets have effectively um, valued the uh, interest rate hikes already. So unless there is seven or nine hikes, I don't think that you'll see the equity market go much lower. Um, I also like to remind people that the stock market doubled during World War II. Uh, so there are a lot of uncertainties at this moment in time. But as long as you see companies like Apple and Google and they're growing their earnings 20% over a year, that's not a recession. A recession is when their earnings drops year over year. Mm -hmm. So as far as the equity market goes, uh, I think you're going to see a slowdown. But I think that there is a real risk of an actual like recession, two, three-year bear market, you know, maybe longer come 2024, 2025, depending on where the Fed is with interest rates and depending on um, uh, inflation. Um, as far as crypto goes, crypto has become an incredibly more reliant asset on equities, which makes sense because typically over the long term, you see assets begin to correlate a lot more. Um, however, you know, a lot of people in crypto, what they're looking for is some sort of indication that equities is going to tell them the future direction of crypto. And I think crypto is naturally a much more volatile and a much more speculative environment. And, um, my thoughts on crypto are, I don't think we'll go to like 20K, like everybody's saying. I think the more likely reality is that we have something like 2019, where we literally just go sideways and chop up everybody for an entire year. Um, and then I think you might see in 20, you know, and it might be a year and a half. I think, I think the lowest crypto will go is maybe 26K or so. Um, and, you know, you, I think basically, I think crypto is going to have volatility between 25k and 50k for about a year and a half and then uh you'll start seeing people try to front run the the halving in 2024 um but at the same time um crypto is if there's anything that has shown us through this uh you know this equities correction is that crypto is incredibly more reliant on uh on the idea of risk on risk off and when you think about crypto from the headspace of uh you know, most people that are investing in crypto are using disposable income. They're using money that they earned from their job and they're trying to turn it into multiples. And it's because they hypothetically don't need the income or at least I fucking hope so. Um, and uh, I think you have to be wary of the idea that if there is some sort of a recession in 2024 or 2025, even though there's, you know, halving, I think there's reason to be uh, very cautious about it. But at the same time, period in time, there is increasing correlation to the global economics. And I think that it's just more reasonable to expect a lot of chop uh, rather than a complete uh, annihilation. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that altcoins can't get annihilated. I think altcoins will get annihilated, uh, aside from a very select few. Um, and so, uh, you know, I just think it's going to be a pretty... Uh, I think the, the name of the game for the next two or three years is going to be a lot about survival. 
And uh, if you can make it through those three, two or three years, I think you're probably going to face a lot of prosperity into the end of the decade. But you have to be able to weather the volatility until then. What do you think about the bull case for crypto that the growth of like TradFi tech is done and that when the market starts to pick up again, that a lot of that money that was previously in, like you mentioned, Shopify and a lot of these companies might go towards crypto instead. Do you buy that or not? Um, I subscribe to the idea that I think crypto can gain market share, uh, you know, just, just grow its market cap as a whole. I don't agree that the person that's investing in Shopify is going to be the same person that's investing in Solana. Like, I think that's very two different, uh, you know, asset classes. And I think it's two different types of people and what they're looking for in their investments. I think mostly Couldn't you argue does- though that like Shopify, cause I mean, Shopify is like an e-commerce internet company, right? And like, yes. you probably could have said the same thing like 10 years ago too, right? Yeah, hypothetically. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, um, I was going to say, I think you just have to keep in mind the general gist of people investing in stocks is that, you know, typically the only reason that a person would invest in stocks over crypto is because they don't want to deal with the volatility of crypto. Mm-hmm. And chances are uh, they're not going to be trading as often. Now, I would I would say, you know, between a, a stock options trader, uh, you know, somebody on the buy side of that equation and crypto trading, very similar. And you might see people stop trading stock options and go towards crypto, which I think would actually be a net benefit to most people because at least with crypto, uh, you know, you don't get fucked if, if it's by, if it's not at a certain price by a certain date. Um, but I think, uh, I think you're going to see increasing interest in crypto, uh, particularly when it comes to DeFi. Um, I know a lot of people have kind of sworn off DeFi because a lot of the coins haven't been doing well. But I think the general concept of crypto, uh, excuse me, of DeFi is something that is going to draw um, first a lot more retail attention, like I think it has in the past couple of years. And then once there is ample amounts of uh, liquidity, then you could argue that it could draw institutional interest. Um, but if you think, but my, my general gist is that it's not going to take money from equity markets. I think it's just going to be something that, uh, people start allocating more to, if that makes sense. Right. No, I totally agree. I think DeFi is overly uh, shit on right now just because the coins have gone down. But I think right. I think it's honestly, out of everything in crypto, I would say personally, I think DeFi is like one of the few legitimate big use cases so far. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, like, there'll for, be more. But... Rebase Ponzi's. But uh... <laughs> oh, you don't like Ohm? Come on. I think Ohm <laughs> has a chance. I think I think people misunderstand Ohm. I, th- I think people misunderstand it in a way, but I think people don't. I think in the same way that people think of compounding interest, they don't realize it's compounding supply too. So they kind of offset. Yes, I completely agree. I completely agree. I, I wrote an article about how no one understands Ohm, and anyways, we will get into it. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we had the redacted uh, founders on too, who are like right. part of the uh, Ohm uh, group. But um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think DeFi is like one of the few places that everybody, it's boring though. That's the problem. It's boring and it's like, you know, most people are like, oh, cool. I can get 7%. And it's like, I get for the DGENs, that's not a big deal. But like, if you're talking to TradFi, you're like, wait a minute, I can get 7 8% on something where my yeah. savings account is going to be one or less. Like, that's a huge deal. Yeah, I, t- I talked about this uh, maybe about a year ago, but I always said that the most interesting thing 
to TradFi is DeFi. And the reason that is interesting for DeFi is because they can technically arbitrage yield and sell it to TradFi people. So like, for example, let's say one day that the Uniswap uh, ETH USDC pool uh, was lending, you know, yielding 7%. Well, why would, you know, and, and given that, you know, it can hold, uh, Uniswap can hold a lot of uh, volume. It's a very safe protocol. Uh, it's not something that's going to get necessarily easily exploited. Why would JP Morgan or one of those other investment banks not go, you know, put $100 million in that pool, generate a 7% yield, and then turn around and offer an investment product to TradFi people and call it like a JP Morgan AAA, uh, you know, Ethereum, uh, Ethereum yield and offer 5% mm -hmm. and then keep the spread between five and 7% for themselves. Because, you know, I think the most interesting proposition about DeFi is that when it comes to government bonds, they're fucking dead. Nobody is buying in their right mind that has any sort of idea what they're doing in traditional finance is going, yeah, I want to fucking buy bonds for a percent and a half and lock it up for 10 years and make 15% right. when inflation's at seven and a half. Now, people really liked bonds and TradFi uh, you know, the, the talk of a 60, 40 portfolio or whatever back in the nineties, because bonds were yielding 7%, but now you can't find those yields anywhere. And I think that's the most interesting thing about DeFi is because it's bringing back this idea that you can generate yield on principle, uh, without having to take exorbitant amounts of market risk anymore. Right. I, I agree. I think actually one of the biggest growth areas for DeFi too is fixed income. And I know there's some protocols working on it, but like if anybody can figure out how to actually make fixed income work in DeFi, it's that will be the real like multi-trillion dollar unlock in my opinion. Right. Um, and that and, will, and, will bring, yeah. And whatever, uh, whatever ecosystem it's built on, it's going to do really and well. Which one do you think it will be most likely? I mean, I think you got to bet on Ethereum. But mm -hmm. if there's some anybody that's, uh, you know, I think AVAX is pretty cool too. But uh, I, I think you just have to bet on Ethereum. It's got the most developers. Uh, and hopefully they can, you know, fucking fix the fees. Otherwise, they're going to end up losing out. So since we're on this, I wanted to do a little overrated, underrated. And I wanted okay. to go through some crypto, stocks, other stuff. We'll go crypto first then since we're on this. Uh, right. We'll start with the big daddy, Bitcoin. Overrated, underrated? Underrated. I totally I think, agree. Why? I think, I think so many people are focused on like when they look at, uh, you know, crypto and stuff, they're all focused on, first of all, the first thing in their minds is what kind of return can I make? And the second is what kind of utility does this provide? Well, you know, technically crypto is all about who, uh, who wants it. And, um, I think with Bitcoin, the idea that you have a locked supply, that supply is increasingly becoming concentrated in people that have decided that they are not selling their crypto. Um, and the idea that you have, especially the events that have taken place in the past, uh, you know, couple, couple weeks where you have Canadian banks freezing citizens assets, you have, uh, you know, Russia, which is basically can get cut off possibly from the SWIFT network. Uh, you have an increasing reason to, uh, or like, you know, Ukrainians that are waiting outside uh, you know, in the freezing cold while they're getting bombarded, um, you know, having to withdraw cash when they could have been in a car, you know, halfway to Romania by now, uh, had they had their assets in, you know, something like Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is immensely underrated because I don't think that you're going to find 
the net majority is people selling Bitcoin. I think the future of it is that less and less people, there's going to be less and less supply available. And that's obviously good for the price. And truthfully, I think if you have enough people believing the idea that this is the superior way to store to store wealth when it comes to, um, uh, you know, having digital assets, I, I, I think Bitcoin's king. I don't think it's ever going to get flipped or anything either. Oh, you don't think it'll ever get flipped? Unless unless we see that, like what we just talked about, where, uh, you know, institutions start stepping in on Ethereum protocols and creating actual like institutional assets based off of Ethereum or like products. I don't think it'll get flipped. However, if if that type of development in traditional finance and that usage starts getting developed, then I think you could say that's fair. But uh, at this moment in time, I don't think so. All right. Well, that's next. Ethereum. Overrated, underrated at this moment? Uh, overrated. Overrated. Okay. Yeah. Right. I think Ethereum's interesting, but I think the fees are fucking ridiculous. And, uh, you know, you can do everything you, you can do everything on, uh, Ethereum on, on AVAX basically, uh, you know, as far as, uh, retail usage. So why would you, why would you use Ethereum and, you know, pay a hundred dollars to swap your assets when you could bridge to AVAX? swap them for you know 50 cents and then swap them back like and it's faster okay so avax overrated underrated 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 i, I, th- I think it's the superior like uh retail shit coiner experience and all right of the other ones we'll just go like rapid fire solana phantom the other l ones what do you think of those uh overrated overrated all of them yeah any other are. ones you like besides avalanche um I think Phantom's kind of cool, but it doesn't compete. Solana is too centralized, and the fucking network doesn't work. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, okay, GameFi Metaverse, overrated, underrated? <sighs> GameFi overrated, Metaverse underrated. Ooh, interesting. Okay. GameFi is, I like the idea of play to earn, um, but... I don't understand how uh, something like Activision couldn't incorporate that. Uh, and I, I, I think it comes down to the quality of the games. If somebody in, in GameFi can make something to compete with an actual, uh, you know, gaming company, then sure, it can be underrated. But I don't think that experience is quite there yet. The only one that I've really seen ever stick was uh, DeFi Kingdoms. We're we're big DFK guys here. We we got yeah. in on that early. Did sell though. I had to, I had to break it to the audience. I had to cut that one <laughs> off for now. We'll we'll come back to it in like you know six months when it's like a dollar again. Um, yeah. uh, okay. On uh, so okay, I have an interesting take on the GameFi thing because I totally agree. Like big companies could come in, but there's this weird thing of gamers absolutely hate crypto and. Whenever a GameFi comp or a gaming company announces anything crypto related, they completely shit on it and like want to boycott. Not how serious they are, I don't know, but uh, I think that is honestly the biggest advantage that crypto company gaming companies have right now because it is stopping, in my opinion, bigger companies from coming in and adopting crypto fully. Like it could be the only thing that actually makes some of these successful, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know about you. That's a that's an interesting take. Uh, when you were talking, the thing that came to mind for me is everybody thought streaming was really stupid when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, why why the fuck would you watch somebody play a video game when you could play it yourself? And uh, you know, it's interesting because I I ultimately think if people are gonna go where they have the best user experience, like uh, you know, when it comes to uh, 
gaming, what people are basically looking for is some sort of escape from real life, right? You just want something where you can chill, not have to think very much and just, you know, maybe spend some social time with your friends. So if there can be something uh, where people are still able to have that experience, but it's on crypto, but it's a superior user experience compared to, you know, traditional gaming, I think that's where you'll see people flock to. But at this moment in time, it's not a superior experience, but that can change. Yeah, I think I think it will. Like, I mean, hey, we had like CSGO skins and stuff. And like, there's already been in-game economies for a long time. It's just that it's been dominated by like the central force. I, th- I think someone will figure it out. I-, I do. Yeah. And I mean, if they ever if they ever create like uh, CSGO skins is like NFTs, like that's the fucking bridge of all bridges to <laughs> game five. But that's like, that's where I think like all these companies like Steam said they're not going to do anything crypto related. I mean, maybe they'll change at some point. But like, I think a lot of these companies are shooting themselves in the foot. Well, I think Steam says that they're not going to do anything crypto related because uh, Steam is kind of has a uh, digital uh, digital video game monopoly in a way mm-hmm. as far as like access to games and stuff. And, it's, you know, I think they're trying to like sort of maintain that. Whereas, uh, you know, if they integrate into something that's a lot more decentralized like crypto, uh, you know, you're probably going to face a lot of competitors in the same way that OpenSea is, you know, facing some competitors right now. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess we'll have to see. I, I think they are shooting themselves in the foot too. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I think Zuckerberg shooting himself in the foot when it comes to the metaverse, too. So, um, But I think there is a first mover's advantage. I think if Steam were to, you know, just start allowing it, it doesn't mean it has to be a huge part of their business. But the idea of integrating into gameplay, I, I think, would be smart for them. Yeah, then, no, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, right now with gameplay is, like, most games, most people are priced out of it, right? And, like... When the game, when the game that catches adoption and all the attention, that can figure out like the play and earn versus like the play to earn system, I feel like we'll start to see uh, some of the attention from these bigger games that are not crypto necessarily. You're like, okay, well now we can actually start paying attention to these because it's not like we are. It's like our regular user base can actually get into this versus like having to drop a grand just to get into it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I 100 agree. Um, final crypto one, NFTs, overrated, underrated. Um, we'll see the current so, state, the current okay. state of NFTs. I will say underrated. Wow. Um, okay. I think, okay. So like, I think NFTs, uh, I don't think anybody should be fucking paying 90 ETH for, you know, a fucking punk. I think that's stupid, but I think crypto, uh, that NFTs have, uh, use case, to where in the present day, if people were to actually, you know, start, in a, you know, building off of it, uh, you know, it has an enormous potential to be part of like the uh, global economy, right? You know, like I know Gary Vee, like talked about it a lot and, you know, some people hate Gary Vee and some people are like a cult of his, but I think he has a really good point about the idea of it being, you know, a digital signature. Um, you know, I you could argue that NFTs, um, are the way that real estate agents are going to tr- transact in the future. Um, you could argue that NFTs are, um, you know, a way for people to, uh, you know, purchase CSGO skins and maybe integrate it across various different games is like, you know, this valuable asset. I don't think NFTs are going anywhere. Right now, they're more of a collectible item, but if you can integrate 
them enough into uh, various different industries. I think that you'll see NFTs will be, um, you know, a variety of things. It could be a platform of agreement. It could be, um, you know, something uh, platform for people to essentially exchange their collectibles. Um, I think what you're seeing right now is a lot of speculative hype because the main reason that our people are in NFTs is because you have that ability to mint something at, you know, 0.1 ETH and then sell, turn around and hypothetically sell it for 50 ETH. Uh, and that risk to reward ratio isn't found anywhere else. And if you, you if you find a good NFT project, like Tubby Cats just came out, right? Like that's an instant 5X minimum, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe 10X off of the mint. So it's a great way for, you know, people to essentially flip. Um, and I don't think that's going to necessarily go away. Do you think the NFT market will be kind of separated from crypto as far as like performance over time? Or do you think they'll be tightly related? So, I mean, I think you, I think you have to say that NFTs are somewhat correlated to what Ethereum is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if Ethereum starts dropping, people will start raising their floor price because they actually care about dollars. Um, but I think... I think NFTs are going to function a lot more like an alt season. Like you could have crypto going one way, uh, but if people have enough capital on the sidelines or if there's something interesting enough, uh, you know, a new project comes out or something that everybody's talking about. I don't see how that project would be, um, you know, affected by Ethereum, right? Like, you know, we've had, we had the market go down a lot, but like Tubbycats have been like the project that everybody's been talking about for a week and they've done, you know, they, the floor basically went 10x mint. Uh, and, uh, you know, you have a lot of people that are still, there's so much volume being traded on there. And uh, I really think it's just going to function like in, you know, alternative type of uh, uh, ecosystem in a way. Like, I don't think there's going to be immense correlation to what's happening in crypto. I think it's going to be more of just a general market cycle, of like, you know, hype and, uh, not having liquidity and then people pushing the floors down further and then everybody going on my bags are down 90%. Like, I think it's just going to be like an alt season where, uh, you know, in 2017, 2018, that's how things were. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll have to see. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to agree. I think obviously if like if all markets go bare, then yeah, NFTs are going to die too. Cause no yeah, because people are going to look assets. for liquidity. Yeah. But I think they'll they'll be pretty separated. Um, okay, let's do some stocks overrated, underrated. We'll go fast through these. Um, let's start with okay, crypto Twitter's favorite, McDonald's. Overrated, underrated. Uh underrated. Why? Uh it has a good dividend yield and McDonald's is a beneficiary of real estate, which has been doing really well. Dude, and okay. and I don't know if you've ever been to McDonald's in the in the last six months. Uh, compared to two years ago, their prices are fucking ridiculous now. I'm like, are they? The bank, trying to, yeah, yeah. They they raise their prices a lot on a lot of things too, which I guess is good for the company. Uh, Palantir. Uh, overrated. Uh, GameStop. Way fucking overrated. Holy <laughs> shit! I would short that shit to zero. AMC, all the other ones, same thing. Absolute dog shit. Okay. That is, um, that is a certified traditional finance pump and dump. <laughs> okay. Um, Apple. Underrated. Why? Uh, I, I think you're going to see them expand into fitness. I think they're going to buy Peloton and they're going to be able Ooh. to expand uh, with their fitness plus program, the Apple watches. Uh, you know, Apple is just the king of innovation and I, they, they make so much fucking money. They're, Literally everybody buys an iPhone. Like yeah. it, it's not going anywhere. 
Yeah. They compete it's, in every industry. If they if they have a fucking car too, like Apple Car, like shit. Yeah, and the other one too is like if they do do like the AR and VR, which they've been teasing for years, which they say they're working on. Uh, that one, I, I could see people buying like like in the same way that iPhones brought in the smartphone era. I could see them bringing in the AR VR era if they if they do it. Yeah, right. they're they're also totally going to compete in the metaverse, and they would yeah. fucking crush. They would crush Zuckerberg too. So I agree. I agree. Um, speaking of Zuck, Facebook, Meta, whatever you want, whatever it's called these days. I'll say appropriately rated. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, They're two now. months ago was it overrated because <laughs> the stock is down like 40%. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I – okay, from an earning – from an accounting standpoint, no. I thought it was underrated three months ago. But I think they are getting hit incredibly hard when it comes to uh, the type of ways that they are generating revenue, which is why they had to pivot to Metaverse, and mm-hmm. I think that pivot is too early. Yeah, I agree. I own Facebook stock as – I've had it for years, and I think it's like a good hedge for like crypto – but it has not it, it screwed me in the last like couple months, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah. And I agree, like from a value perspective, I don't understand why this thing is valued so low compared to all the other dog shit companies out there. Facebook prints money, but yeah, I guess it's all about growth these days still. It's even just, even just, uh, I think people yeah. are just uncertain with the way they're gonna generate revenue. But if they can pull uh, if they can keep growing their revenue and earnings over the next couple of years, then people are gonna realize, oh fuck, I sold this for the wrong reason. I think the biggest thing is actually TikTok that caught everyone on guard more than anything yeah. else. That yeah. it was like it's the first real social network that's actually competed with them and stolen, not stolen, but taken uh, user time. I guess you could say away it from is like, fucking Instagram. ridiculously addictive. Yeah. It's Do you crazy. okay? Talk overrated, underrated. TikTok. Yeah. Underrated. That thing is so fucking addicting. I'll find myself like watching it for like ninety minutes before I go to sleep, and I go, "Oh fuck, it's been ninety minutes." Do you think like Trump was right that we should have banned it? From like um, a net good of society. I completely agree. It's hyper addictive, but like so so is crack. But you know. <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no. Um I think the reason that Trump wanted to ban it was because he was worried that about like how China was gonna integrate intelligence into it. Mm-hmm. Um but if we're talking about like uh, a net good for society. Uh, TikTok's like basically the only way for people anymore to grow some sort of following um, when it comes to like trying to promote a personal brand or something like that. And I think it's also really cool because they have this live stream feature that people are essentially able to earn money off of, like Twitch. Um, so I, I don't see it as any worse than like YouTube or something like that. They just have a fucking killer algorithm that just feeds your brain whatever dopamine and horny things that you're feeling. That's actually a really good take. I always hear people on the other side of like, oh, people use it too much. It's really addictive, which is true. But it is. yeah, what, I, what are they gonna, they're just going to go to YouTube if they're not on TikTok. Right. But like you said, like on YouTube, I mean, it is much harder to build a following these days on YouTube than it used to be. So uh, that's that's a good take. I, I like that. Um, yeah. Let's go Twitter where we spend all our time. Uh, I mean, Twitter is just the superior experience to argue with people. I, I think I think. <laughs> A lot of people on Twitter, when they go on Twitter because they want to have an opinion on something, and they hear people that have the same opinion or they want to argue against people that don't have the same opinion. And I think that's the superior place to do that. So I'm going to say um, mental health, completely overrated. But as far as like addiction and like uh, using it, uh, underrated. It's, it's still the best place. 
All right, let's finish off with some people. Oh, actually, I forgot one stock, but it'll it'll mesh. Let's go Elon okay. Musk, Tesla, kind of dual. Uh, not a fan of Elon. Um, oh, okay. I, I'm not a fan of Elon. I think the stock will do okay, though. Um, yeah, probably. What's I your think, reasoning for not liking Elon? Yeah. I think he's um, I think he's kind of like a supervillain in a way. I think he's a, a bit of a narcissist. Uh, I think he, I think he, he, he's like an edgy personality, right? And that's why people like him. He likes pushing people's buttons. And especially when it comes to, you know, you know, who, who fucking tweets an SEC regulator and says, suck Elon's cock, right? Like, like that's, that's ballsy. And I get why people like him because it's, it kind of goes along with this like rebellious sentiment that people like nowadays. Um, but I don't think that the underlying, uh, his underlying company is going to be like a beneficiary of that uh most like i really hope that he uh he's able to go to mars uh and i think he builds a lot of like cool companies but i don't he he builds them all into this illusion that this is good for mankind and i just don't agree with that sentiment like if you if you look at tesla batteries and you look at it, it takes forty thousand gallons of fresh water to make one lithium-ion battery and it's being sold as a clean energy vehicle Right. And you're also using Chilean miner lithium slave labor in order to get it. Right. So, like, I don't like how Elon kind of grifts as this, uh, you know, world changing, clean energy focused guy. I think what he's really focused on is like, uh, you know, trying to get to Mars and uh, building as cool cars as possible, which is reputable. But uh, I, I think he's a grifter when it comes to the whole clean energy thing. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, the other argument with Teslas too is like, hey, you know, you got to get the energy from somewhere, and most of that's just coming from power, uh, coal power plants, anyway. So you're just kind right. of pushing it down the chain. It, oh, that's it. I do have a Tesla, but you know, I, I, I agree. I'm not like oh, some Tesla fucking, fan. I don't fucking blame you. Teslas are a dope car, mm -hmm. and I totally understand why people liked Teslas. I don't agree with uh, with Elon's how he's pushing Teslas. Right. Like if you have if you tell me that you got a Tesla because it looks like a fucking spaceship, I'm gonna go, hell yeah, it looks like a spaceship. Nice. But like if you say, Oh, I bought a Tesla because I'm clean energy conscious, I'm gonna be like, Well, really? Yeah. I don't know yeah. about that. Yeah. No, I would have bought a Mercedes or something if it wasn't, you know, it's like yeah, a, exactly. that was not yeah, like the, the thought yeah, process exactly. behind it. Yeah. Right, right. Um okay, I already know your answer on this, but Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger. Uh, Charlie Munger is senile and turning into a little bit of an angry man. Um, Warren Buffett very underrated though. But I think Charlie Munger. I think Charlie Munger is too pessimistic at times. And I think did you see that like dormitory he designed that had no windows or doors or anything? Yeah, did you see he that? said he, he said the intention of that was to force people to communicate with each other in the communal spots. Uh, but you know, at the same time, I'm pretty sure Charlie Munger hasn't looked outside a window without yeah. like, getting. You know, somebody pushing him in a wheelchair for it for a few years, so he's probably used to it. And uh, Warren Buffett underrated, you think? Very Even underrated. Still? Yeah, no, hugely underrated. He is the he's a legend. Like, I don't think you're going to see anybody in history that is ever going to surpass what he did. And I think I, he he gives so much practical wisdom uh, that people glance over it as being too boring, and he's an old man and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think people appreciate how hard it is to pull, what was it, like 25-ish percent on like billions every single year compounded for like 30 years. Like I know people hear 25% think, oh, that's nothing. But like, yeah, try doing that with. Yeah, I think he yeah. compounded 20% for 60 years. Yeah, okay. Even better. It's like. 
the next the next person in line compounded at maybe twenty five percent, but for like ten years. Yeah. Like the idea of pulling that off and, and getting two two x the market return over you know your entire lifetime that's something that's hypothetically never been done before. Yeah, and especially on billions. Like people don't understand how hard it is to pull those types of return on a, on on billions of dollars like that. Um, yeah, everyone everyone goes, oh, I made I made a hundred percent in a day. Warren Buffett, right. a fucking boomer, and it's like, right. well, you had one hundred fifty dollars in a Robinhood account. You right. got puts when the fucking Russia invaded Ukraine. Like you're not a fucking <laughs> legend like he is. Right, right. Uh, Martin Shkreli, overrated, underrated. Oh, what a fucking douchebag. Totally oh, overrated. you don't like the Skrellster? Come on. Uh, dude, that video of him in Congress. That's yeah. That guy is a fucking doucher. Come on. Hey, free my man Shkreli. He's going to be out next year, man. Come on. Nah, I don't care. I hope he stays in there. Um. All right. Two more. Jerome Powell. Uh, Underrated. I think a lot of people, I think he did a really fucking good job. I think uh, everybody's like, oh, my inflation. I'm paying four fifty a gallon for gas. Well, don't fucking buy an eighty thousand dollar car and then complain about gas. You know, if 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 Jerome didn't, you know, hit the turbo printer button, we'd be in the middle of a Great Depression right now. Yeah, probably. Uh, probably. And, yeah, and and because we'd be in a Great Depression, we'd probably be sending fucking troops to war right now. I, I think the other thing too is like he inherited this. He didn't create this. So you gotta, you gotta play the hand you're dealt. I, I don't necessarily think he's like some hero, but I think he probably gets a little too much shit, quite frankly. Uh, yeah. Well, he's, he's going to get shit because everybody wants to blame him for why they're poor. Right. Exactly. And then last one, Kanye West. Uh, good music, but he's getting annoying. He's just like desperate. Like, yeah. I don't know. He's, he's just starting. I mean, he's, he's kind of just becoming a grifter. Like, uh, you know, you say you're an artist, but then you're going to make, like, teenagers pay $200 for the fucking speaker to get access to your album. And then you're, like, schizo-tweeting about, like, your fucking wife that's just getting boned by, like, the skeleton man. Like, I, I don't know. He, I can't tell if it's a marketing set anymore or if he desperately needs to be, like, in a mental hospital. Um, make sure music, though. Let's be honest. Yeah, probably. 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 Um, all right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Any other final thoughts? Uh, actually, let me plug your stuff because you have a YouTube channel. It's very good. I've watched a bunch of your videos. Uh, people should go check it out. I'll put in the uh, description. Um, you have a paid group that goes to charity. Just yeah. so everyone knows. It's not I do a get a tax write-off, though. Okay. Well, hey, you know. <laughs> You got to get a little bit. Just to be transparent, yeah. But you you go over like your theta strategies, right? Your theta option selling yeah, strategies. Yeah, so uh, basically what I do is um, uh, I have like uh, – I do a 30-minute podcast each weekend, uh, and I either talk about what's going on in the current market. I talk about uh, things that I feel people aren't uh, uh, paying attention to when it comes to like their risk management. Uh, and, you know, just I kind of just go with the flow. Sometimes I talk about like making sure that you get yourself in the right headspace for, you know, possible recessions in a couple of years and stuff um so i do that and then once a month i do a free podcast which i post on youtube um you know just to give people a, a taste of what it is and then yeah um you know i make sure to donate all the proceeds to reputable charities uh the catch for that is i get a tax write-off which is nice because that helps uh you know reduce the obligation i have for selling options premium and whatnot um but it's totally not required uh to sign up or anything like i don't i don't hold any like alpha back from like uh 
uh, from Twitter. Like you will still basically find the same amount of information on Twitter. I just like to, uh, the podcast, it's easier for me to speak in long form than it is for me to write tweets. So I do it there. All right. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for coming on. You're welcome on and any other time if you would like. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, man, thanks Have a good one, man. On.